Um, so it's my privilege this morning to, to share God's Word with you. And um, as you know, last week we started uh, the series which is looking at our vision once again. And our vision, quite simply, is rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. And so last week I started the first session just looking at what it means to be rooted in Christ. And I try to encourage you that as we look towards this new year, that we rest in the graces that God has already given us, the means of grace that He's already given us uh, to become more like Jesus. And I, I pointed some of those things out to you. They are very simple. Um, baptism, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, worship. These are the ordinary means of grace that God uses in our lives so that we can continue to grow in Jesus. And that's how we root ourselves in Him. And so this morning I want to take a second session just to have a look at something that is a foundational stone of this church and has become, in my life, uh, a foundational stone of my life personally. And it's simply, I want to speak to you this morning about the freedom that we have in Jesus. Uh, you might say, well, Ant, I know about the fact that I'm free in Christ, but I want to just introduce this this morning by saying this. Um, for I've been leading in church communities now for 30 years. And the reality is that people often labor under this kind of underlying sense of guilt in their lives or legalism in their lives, where they, even if it's imposed by their own expectations of what they think Jesus would have them do, there's an underlying kind of guilt that people labor under and frustration that lab people labor, labor under that they're not quite doing enough to live a Christian life or to please Jesus. Now, if that's you this morning, I hope this message will set you free because we are not called to labor under that kind of sense of guilt because Jesus has taken all of that guilt upon himself and all of that uh, uh, so that we could be free. And so this morning, I want to try and encourage you simply with a wonderful scripture out of Romans chapter 8, which I'm going to unpack a little bit just to help us understand that we truly are free in Jesus and what that looks like, what that means for us as we live our lives daily. And so here we're going to read Romans chapter 8, the first 10 verses, which says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. And those that are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
It's just such an incredibly rich portion of Scripture. And uh, I trust that this morning you're going to be built up and encouraged through it. Um, I don't know, as you were, as I was reading it to you, perhaps you noticed that flesh, the word flesh, is, um, is mentioned a lot. And uh, sometimes that can be a little bit confusing as to what Paul is actually saying. But it, it really is quite simple. Um, and some of the older translations and even the NIV is unhelpful here because it translates flesh as sinful nature. And that, that at best is confusing because in the original, the Greek version of the New Testament, Paul only uses the word nature once in the whole of the New Testament, and that's in Romans chapter 1, where he says that there are sins that are contrary to our nature, and then he's talking there around issues like homosexuality. But everywhere else in the New Testament, whenever Paul writes and he uses the word flesh, he simply means body. He means this physical body in which we live. And that's the context here in, in Romans chapter 8. Wherever you see the word flesh, he's really just talking about our body. So for example, for what God has done, uh, what the law weakened by the body could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of a body and for sin, he condemned sin in the body. That's really what he's talking about. He's talking about our body. So we, we sin in our body, and that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. There are also other occasions where sometimes Paul uses the word flesh to mean that part of us that still needs to be transformed, that still needs to be dealt with, the old man, if you like, that is still being transformed to be like Jesus. So the power of sin has been broken through the, the cross of Christ, but there's still a part of us that is needing to be transformed to be more and more like Jesus. And sometimes Paul uses flesh to describe that as well. So it's simply the body or the leftover part of us that still needs to become more and more like Jesus. That's the first thing I'd like to just point out when we think about the Scripture. And secondly, the language that Paul uses in the New Testament can be loose, but the ideas are always fixed. Um, and this, this is what I mean, is that sometimes the same word can mean something slightly different in terms of the context where, where it's found. So, for example, in, we read this verse today, by sending his own sin, son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And that phrase here doesn't mean that Jesus took on sin. It simply means that he came in a human body. And, and that's what I'm saying, is we have to think carefully about how the language is used. So the, the word flesh then generally just means our bodies. And thirdly, these verses, Paul talks about the law quite a lot, and I just wanted to uh, help us understand that. He talks about the law of the flesh on one hand, the law of the body, and on the other hand, the law of Christ or the law of the Spirit. And then he says, he uses the phrase, the power of the flesh or the power of the Spirit, on the other hand. And when we think of the, this context here of the law, Paul is not just talking about the Mosaic law, the, the ceremonial law, the moral law of Moses, the, the judicial law. Um, he's not talking about that. And we do know this, that the more we, we look into, those, into the law of Moses, this is what we will see. We will see every imperfection. We will see condemnation. We will see God's uh, wrath, His anger. We'll see every shortcoming that we have when we look into the law. 
And that's why Paul says in Romans 7, he cries out and he says, Wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because actually when you look into the law, you'll see the law is always right and it's absolutely merciless. And that's why Paul says, who will deliver me? He realizes that for himself and he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. And he realizes that the law cannot save him, only Jesus can save him. So when in, this, in the context of chapter 8 where Paul is talking about law here, he's not just talking about Mosaic law, he's talking about every rule. Every regulation that people put on us or we put on ourselves in order to try and please God and say that we're doing enough to please Him. That's what, what he's really saying. He's talking about living by rules and living by just trying to do the right thing in order to please God. And Paul says, if you try and live like that, it's a merciless way to live. And all it does is point out your imperfection and that you are not hitting the mark. That's basically what Paul says. And so my encouragement this morning is if you are living under that kind of pressure, if you've put that pressure on yourself and you're kind of trying to, live, trying to live up to this sense of performance in your life, if I can only do this, then God will be pleased with me. If I, I can only live like this, God will be pleased with me. I, I want to encourage you that this message can set you free this morning, that actually all God wants you to do is to look into the beautiful face of Jesus and to look to Him. And as you look to Him and are transformed by His Spirit, you become more and more like Him. You don't have to live by rules. All you have to live by is the voice of the Spirit in your ear, day by day, saying, My son, my daughter, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. And that's incredible privilege that we have as believers. In verse 1, he has this incredible privilege we have. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. All it means is that there's no punishment for you and for me if we're in Christ Jesus. That actually... This word of no condemnation comes after chapter 7 where Paul has been talking about sin. And he talks about sin that trips us up and that we, we kind of, we do the things we want to do, uh, don't want to do. And, and the things we do want to do, we don't do them. And there's this kind of sense of frustration because uh, even though the power of sin is broken, we still tend to do the wrong thing. And Paul is saying, after that, after he's spoken about that, then he comes with this amazing, amazing declaration. There's no condemnation if you are in Christ. There's no punishment. And all fear, all guilt comes from a sense of impending punishment and judgment. And Paul is saying, Jesus has taken all of that away, and you don't have to fear that anymore. If you are in Christ, there's no punishment for you. There's no condemnation. You are absolutely free. Paul doesn't say this, though. He doesn't say that there's no accusation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because we all know that there's an accuser called the devil, and he comes and he accuses us all the time. But the, the, the joy of the Scripture, it says that Jesus is our great advocate in heaven, and he defends us, and he stands before the Father, and when the devil comes to accuse us, he says, Father, do you see my blood? On the, on the life of this beautiful child of yours. And the father says, yes, I do. And therefore, the accusation is thrown out of court before God our Father. 
Uh, Paul doesn't say that there won't be any hard times. Do you notice that? Uh, the, uh, the biblical word is tribulation. Um, there are always hard times. Uh, there's always something that we have to overcome and difficulties we have to uh, face and work through. And you know that this last year has been a, life, uh, a, a year of incredible difficulty for many of us. But Paul says this, he says, and the scripture says this, don't worry about that stuff. Don't let it get you down. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world, and he who lives in you is greater than he who lives in the world. And so take heart, because I've overcome the world. Whatever you face, you can take heart, because Jesus has overcome in the, through the power of the cross. Paul also doesn't say that there won't be any discipline for us. Um, we are disciplined, but we are not condemned. We are not punished like the world is punished because we are in Christ and in Him because of the faith that we have in Christ. We are adopted as His sons and daughters. And so the biblical view is that God, when He disciplines us, He's treating us as sons and daughters. And um, so often we, we kind of revert to wrong thinking. Whenever we see the discipline of God in our lives, we kind of say things like this, does God really love me? What have I, what have I done wrong that I'm being punished? Have you ever said those things, things to yourself? When something goes wrong in your life, oh, I must have done something wrong because if I was, you know, I'm a child of God, so things need to go right with me. Well, actually, the Bible doesn't really, really say it like that. The Bible says that even the sons of God, even the daughters of God, go through times of discipline and times where they have to overcome. And it's God treating us as his sons, as, his, as a father would want to raise his sons so that they can be strong and overcome things for themselves. So God is with us. And he allows certain things so that we can, on the inside, grow up and be strong so that we can overcome and learn to live in victory as sons and daughters. So he doesn't say no tribulation. He doesn't say no discipline. But he does say no punishment, no condemnation. Uh, in other words, because of what Jesus has done, God is pleased with you. He's smiling on you. There's no punishment because Jesus has taken all of the demands of the law and fulfilled those completely. And he, God therefore looks on us with a smile and we are not condemned. We are not punished. And Jesus is pleased with us because we have put our trust and our faith in him. And I always love uh, thinking about Matthew 17, 5, which um, speaks of Jesus and his ministry, uh, and his life rather, and it's the, the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And he says that over his son before Jesus has done anything in terms of ministry. And so God does the same for us. Before we do anything with him, for him, he, there's the smile of God on our life saying, this is my son, this is my daughter, I am well pleased with you. And we should always carry that reality in our hearts that God is pleased with us because of the blood of his son on our lives. And therefore, we don't have to fear any punishment or condemnation. Uh, a number of years ago, we studied the book of James in this church, and um, I love James chapter 1, verse 25. It says this, the one who looks into the perfect law, the perfect law, says James, which is freedom, or he uses the word liberty, the one who looks into the perfect law, which is freedom, and perseveres, being one who not, not just hears the word, but does what it says, will be blessed in all that he does. 
And I've always thought about that. Well, why does James say the perfect law, the perfect thing that we are after is freedom? Well, because that's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be regenerated. That what, that's what it means to be saved. That's what Jesus does for us. When we are saved, we are set free from all bondage to sin, and we are set free to be free. <laughs> we, are, we are liberated into freedom, and that's what the blood of Christ does for us. And because we are free, there's a whole new life ahead of us. There's a whole new set of possibilities for our lives that we didn't have before. And for, not only for us, but for everyone who believes by faith. And this is all a gift to us under God's hand in our lives. And the Bible uses this language. It says we're no longer dead. We are now alive. We are no longer under bondage, slaves. We are set free. We are sons. And um, we begin to become who God really intended us to be all along. And so I want to encourage you, don't, don't in your life, don't, Continually look into the mirror that is introspective. Uh, and, and because the Bible says if you do that, if you continue to be introspective in your life, you are still under bondage. And the bondage you are under is that of fear. If you look at yourself all the time, you'll always say, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. And that is a bondage to fear. And remember, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-control. And I found this about my life, is that every time I get introspective, the devil points out every spot, every wrinkle, every blemish, everything that I'm doing wrong. And it, what it does is it, it makes me feel like I'm disqualified, that I can't do anything for God's kingdom because I've not yet got myself together. Do you ever feel like that? You see, that's what the devil does when we get introverted. He convinces us that we need lots more attention. We need lots more prayer. We need lots more counseling before we can do anything for God's kingdom. And that's what introspection does. It's one of the great pitfalls of the Christian life. But I'm not talking about examining yourself in a healthy way. Um, introspective, introspection uh, is subjective. It focuses on yourself. And it breeds complacency. It's like, well, I can't do anything. The standard is too high. And then your motivation begins to lag. But G Jesus, on the other hand, when we, when we gaze into Jesus, into his beautiful face, it is objective. And... It's because it's centered on Christ as we, as we gaze into Jesus. It breeds hope in our lives. Jesus always breeds hope and motivation as we look to him. And so that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, he puts it this way. He says, we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul, Paul is saying the same thing. Paul is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to Him, and He will transform you. And James is saying the same thing. He's saying, fix your eyes on the perfect one, the perfect law, which is the law of freedom, which is Christ. And as you do that, you are transformed, and you become more and more like Him. And so I love the Greek here in, 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 um, in James. It's Paracupsus, which means to gaze intently into someone's face. And that's what, that's what uh, James is saying. Gaze intently into the face of Jesus, and he will transform you. 
As you do that, you know God's smile on your life, and that is true freedom. So that's the first thing. There's no condemnation for us because we are in Christ. There's no punishment. You don't need to fear punishment. You don't need to labor under guilt. Secondly, Paul says, the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And here, um, Paul is talking about sanctification. He's talking about how we can become more and more like Jesus. I mean, the privilege that we have is that we are saved by faith, and there's no condemnation for us. And now he's talking about the privilege of becoming more and more like Jesus. In other words, being sanctified. And he says that this happens as we walk by the Spirit. That's what he says. And he points it out quite plainly. He says the power or the power of the law, in other words, living by rules, the power of trying to live by rules doesn't make you more like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. It's very, very simple. He's saying, if you think you must just do the right thing and live by a moral code and live by a set of rules and think that that makes you like Jesus, he's saying, you're wrong. It doesn't. There's no power in that for your life. In other words, living by rules couldn't set you free from the guilt of sin. Living by rules doesn't pardon you from the consequence of sin. Living by rules doesn't give you a promise of grace for your life. The law tried to do that, but it's imperfect. And it wasn't through any weakness of the law. It was the fact that our bodies are sinful. Our bodies can't actually attain that. And, we, and it's because of that we needed the blood of Christ to come and to do it for us. And so Paul is really saying that the law, it's like a plaster that you can put over the wound, but it doesn't ever take the wound away. There's something else needed to take the wound away, to take the sin, to remove it completely. And I love Hebrews chapter 10, which I can't read um, the whole thing, but if you read it for yourselves at home, it just talks about the, the law was a shadow. Uh, it, it, it wasn't the true form, but it can never uh, do what Christ has done. And, and, and the writer of the Hebrews uh, talks about the blood uh, of sacrifices and bulls and goats being offered to take away sin, and he says that that can't ever do that, uh, really to remove sin. And then he says, but while one single offering perfected for all time, Christ has removed sin for all those that are being sanctified. It is absolutely beautiful. So Paul says, the power of the Spirit of Christ enables us to become more and more like Jesus. That there's a new covenant of grace for us. That we have a new nature. That we are free from both the power of sin and from the guilt of sin. And the foundation of all of this is that God has sent His Son, Jesus, into the world. who took sin upon Himself so that we could be free. And what the law could not do, Jesus has done perfectly well. And so it's kind of like, if you think of an Old Testament picture, it's like um, Moses and Joshua. Uh, Moses wasn't able to take the Israelites into the promised land because of the failings of his own life. And the privilege was given to Joshua. And so it's the same way. What the law could not do, Christ does what the law could not do. And he leads us in a way of grace in our lives that we can become more and more like him. And so, all of us that are in Christ, who believe by faith, the power of sin and the result of that power, which is death, is taken away 
and broken. And so the last little thing is just, just to, to look at is, is how do we know that we are living by the Spirit and not living by the flesh or just focusing on, on uh, our, our, our bodies? Um, well, verse 5 says simply by observing what your mind is set on. Uh, Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh or the body set their minds on the things of the body, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so it's very simply, we just need to ask ourselves this, this question, what is my mind set on? Uh, if your mind is always set on worldly profit or um, honor in this world or money, sex, and power or accumulating more possessions and other things like that, then we are really setting our minds on carnal things or fleshly things and not spiritual things. And the word carne, you should know from going to an Italian restaurant, carne simply means meat. It's the meat course, isn't it? Carne, it's the meat course. Uh, the word carnival, when you talk about celebrating in a carnival, really means celebrating the flesh, the body. That's what the word means. And so Paul says we shouldn't be carnal. If we are living like that and our minds are carnal, we are, we've set our minds on earthly, worldly things. But the welfare of our souls, that's a concern of eternity. And that's a thing of the Spirit. Um, Paul, uh, not Paul, Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, uh, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so the challenge to us is, what do we think about most and, and what is our, gives us most pleasure? Uh, what do we most dwell on in our hearts? What, what is the altar of our hearts really worshipping? Um, and Paul is kind of trying to encourage us not to set it on worldly things, but to set it on spiritual things, that the altar of our hearts is concerned more with spiritual things and what God has for us rather than just worldly things. And in verse 6 he says, If you set your, th your mind on just bodily, earthly things, that is death for you, and that is carnality, which is death. But if we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, that is life for us and joy, and peace. And so, these things only come, this change can only come in our lives by the power of the Spirit, not by our will, not by us trying to do the right thing, but simply being controlled by the Spirit in our lives, and that brings peace and life. And ultimately, that's what Paul says. Uh, the great question, are we in the flesh, or are we in the Spirit? And how do we know that? Well, simply by asking if God's Spirit dwells in us, and as God's Spirit dwells in us, He transforms us more and more to be like Jesus. And so I would encourage you as you think about this year, as you think about joy and peace, as you trust God for your future, ask yourself the question, who's really dwelling in my heart? Uh, who, who's most ascendant there? Who, 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 who is um, setting the rules in, in my heart? Is it my own kind of moral code? Is it me trying to live out a righteous life by the power of my will? Or is it my heart being more and more open to the Holy Spirit moment by moment and day by day with me saying, God, lead me. Help me. Help me hear your voice because I want to become more and more like your son. Uh, that's what Paul is really saying. The heart of what he's saying is that if you want to become more and more like Jesus, you're never going to do it by following rules and putting restrictions on your life. You, you, are, going to, you are going to become more and more like Jesus by simply opening your, 
ears and your hearts to the voice of the Spirit, who out of His kindness will speak to you daily and help you to live in a way that pleases Him. And that's my encouragement to you this, to, to you this morning. There's no punishment, there's no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. That's the great privilege, what it means to be being saved. And the great privilege that we have also of becoming more and more like Jesus is that we can open our hearts to His Spirit and His Spirit leads us so that we become more and more like His Son. So don't try and live by rules. Don't put expectations on yourself or on other people. Simply rely on the Holy Spirit in your life to speak to you and say, my son, my daughter, this is what I have for you. And put your trust in Him. Set your mind on Him. Not on the things of the body, but set your mind on Him. And as you set your mind on Him, the power of the Spirit will control your life and help you to become more and more like His Son. I trust that encourages you. And I, I want to ask that um, if you don't know Jesus this morning, He wants to know you. And if you're watching this broadcast at home, you've never thought about who's in control of your life, I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus wants to be in control of your life. And that doesn't mean that uh, you don't have any uh, free will or you don't have any uh, sense of direction for your life. It's simply that as you live your life and you trust Him, He guides you step by step and moment by moment into a future that He has for you that is always good and always has your best interests at heart. And so I want to encourage you this morning that um, if you don't, don't know Jesus, the Bible says you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ and you confess with your mouth he will come and make his home within you and begin to lead you as his son. And so that's all it really is, is to simply say, Jesus, I take you at your word. Will you come into my heart? Will you come into my life and transform me by the power of your spirit that I might become more and more like your son? That's what it means to be a Christian. That, that's what it means to be a person of faith. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand back to the worship team and we're just going to take a moment to reflect on some of these things. And uh, as, as the worship team leads us, why don't you just take a moment to ask the Lord to speak to you and just to confirm these things in your heart by the power of His Spirit. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for the truth of your Word. And I pray for all of us that this year we truly would live out of the freedom that you have for us, that we wouldn't labor under expectations or labor under a sense of having to do things and live by rules to, in order to please you. Thank you. All we have to do is to gaze into the face of Jesus, to love him. And as we love him, he shows us all that needs to happen in our lives to make us more like him. And I pray for those at home, Lord. I pray that you'd encourage them this morning. I pray if there's anyone that doesn't know you, that they would simply put their trust in you, that as they believe and speak, the truth of what Jesus has done for them, that you would come and dwell in their hearts and that you would transform them to make them more and more like your son. And so I trust you, Lord, that you would continue to work in all of our lives that we might know you, we might love you, might serve you, might give you our futures and that you would take us into a future that is good and full of life for your kingdom. And so I trust you, Lord, for that this morning. And as we worship now, Lord, I pray that you would seal these things in our heart as we reflect on them, that you would just remind us of the things that are most important for us as individuals, that we might bear much fruit for you this year, that we might truly be rooted in you, the 
the only wise God, the only true King. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.